1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. I'm going to read through verse 16. We'll be looking at other verses in the chapter, but we'll just get to them when we get to them. Beginning in verse 8. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to be aflame with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. Okay, let me pause right there, okay? Put, put, put the pause button. Okay, whenever Paul says things like, the Lord says this, not I, or I, not the Lord, basically what he's referring to is if you go into our Gospels, you have all kinds of things that Jesus said, Right? situations he addressed, particular circumstances that Jesus said, this is the truth for this, okay? Now, there's lots of other situations where we may not have the words of Jesus addressed. You know, we we don't know exactly what he said about that. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has told us this is God's truth about this issue, okay? Does that make sense? Some people, when they see stuff like that, they're like, oh, Paul's like disagreeing with Jesus. No, 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 no. He's just saying, you know, Jesus didn't particularly address the situation. All right? All right, let's hit the play button again. To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband um, who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, he should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, a brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? Let's pray together. Father, we just need especially your help today. Uh, God, we need your help every day. We need your help every Sunday. God, I need your help every time I preach. But God, I I ask just for a particular um, grace this morning that you would keep me from saying anything that could be misunderstood. God, that you would keep us from hearing anything in a wrong way. Uh, God, this is such a delicate subject. Uh, There's so much pain involved with it. God, that I I don't want anybody to be unnecessarily hurt today. Um, I want people to hear the truth. God, we ask for that. Uh, We ask for your Holy Spirit to give people power to obey. And we pray for the marriages in this room and in the other services, God. Those that, that make up Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, we ask that you would keep us. Keep us strong in faith. Keep us strong in our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen. According to most statistics, um, half of all marriages will end in divorce, okay? That does not mean that every other couple or half the couples will get divorced. Uh, it doesn't mean that because there are more, some couples have more than one marriage, okay? So you might have somebody that's been married three or four times, you, you know, versus someone who's married once. And so the statistic is reflecting of every marriage, only about half of them make it, okay? And that includes second and third marriages. So... Uh, no matter how you how, no matter how you slice up that statistic, it's horrible. Okay, I mean it's ghastly, it's grim, it's heartbreaking, and, and the reason it is so is because of the catastrophic damage that divorce does to people. Okay, divorce is one of the most painful things in our culture. Okay, now though I've not been divorced. Um, I'm going to speak today with a lot of emotion and, and just a lot of, of 
deeply impacting me because I live in this every week, okay? Every week I have somebody coming into my office who's on the brink of losing their marriage, who's on the brink of, of, of cashing in 10 or 15 or 20 years of, of, of commitment to somebody. And, and so this is a real thing for me, okay? I don't know how you feel about this subject, but I mean, this is, this is the trenches that, that I live in every week. And so, so I want us to get this right. And I, and I want you to see... This, this is a serious thing, okay? Um, divorce is a violent thing. I've, I've said that to tons of, of couples in my office. You know, I'll, I'll tell them that. i say, look, I, I know what you're thinking. I know where you're headed. And what I want you to know is this is a violent thing. And I'll have couples who will say to me, no, 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 you don't understand. We're, we're friends about this, you know? I mean, we're, we're cordial about it. And we can, you know, we, we don't yell and scream at each other. There's no physical abuse in this thing. Well, that's not exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the ramifications of divorce upon a family and upon two lives have have a violent, aggressive, painful, wound-bearing effect upon their lives, okay? And even if the very act itself is not is not is not violent, um, the, the implications are, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I've never seen anybody be executed, but I'm sure that probably when they execute somebody, most times by, by electric chair, I'm sure that they don't go pummel the person first, you know, and scream and, and kick them and, and then, you know, taser them. And I'm sure it isn't like that. You know what I'm, you know, what I'm sure happens. Some old boy at some point after they put the hood on him and, and after everything's quiet and after the priest has said a prayer, somebody goes over and flips a switch. You know, in a very peaceful, probably very serene way, just flips a switch, okay? It's a very peaceful act. The ramifications of that kill somebody, okay? And that's what I'm telling you about divorce, is divorce is flipping a switch that, that is a painful thing to people and to children, and, and, and it leaves a wound, and there's just no way to do it without pain, okay? Especially when there's children involved. I'm involved a lot with having to, to help a family try to navigate through. How do you explain to a seven-year-old boy that his dad's not going to love his mom anymore? That his dad's not going to take care of his mom. He's not going to stand with his mom. He's not going to cherish her. He's not going to love her. He's not going to date her. He, he's, he's not going to be there anymore. I mean, how do you explain that to a kid in, the, in a way that he can understand that? I mean, I mean, I mean you just can't, okay? You can say things like, well, you know, we still love each other. We're just not going to live together. I mean, you know what? Sooner or later, that little kid's going to figure that out, you know? I mean, how does that work, you know? I love you, but I don't want anything to do with you, you know? I, I'm not, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to minister to you. I'm not gonna, you know, I mean, it just doesn't. And so, so I, and I think most of you, you know what, let's just, let's just be real. There's not a person in this room that isn't in some way affected by divorce, right? I bet, the, I, I bet you there's not a person in this room that hasn't felt some sort of sting in their family, whether it's through their mom or dad. Many of you, your mom and dad got divorced. Many, many of you, maybe your grandparents or your uncle or your aunt or your brother or your sister or your, your kids, okay? I mean, I mean, there, there's not a person in this room that hasn't felt the sting of this, all right? And so what we really need to do today is we want to make sure that we don't focus the sermon on who can and who can't get divorced, who can and who can't get remarried, okay? That's normally the way that people look at 1 Corinthians 7. I've had a lot of people come into my office and say, well, you know, Pastor, it says this in verse, you know, verse 14, that if, if the unbeliever, you know, leaves and let him go, and, you know, it says in Matthew 5, you know, don't divorce except for reason of sexual immorality. And, and what people are doing is their focus is on who has permission to divorce, Okay? Now, see, that's the wrong way to look at it. We do not want to see it that way, okay? I, I mean, really, when you think about it, that's like saying, who has, who has permission to cut off their arm with a table saw, okay? I, I mean, that's really what that's like. 
Now, now the reality is, is that somebody, I've seen the statistics on this, by the way, they're, they're, they're phenomenal. Somebody will cut their arm off with a table saw today in America, okay? Some old boy right now probably skipped church because he's going to finish his project. You know, he flips on the switch. He's pushing it through right now. Ah, you know, honey, you know, I mean, that probably happened right now. Okay, somewhere in America that just happened. It's a reality, okay? So it's a reality that people, he's going to have to deal with, Okay. Right now, somebody's taking him to the hospital, you know, and he's, he's puking in the front seat. I mean, that's happening now. It's a reality. It's a bad reality, but it's a reality. But it would be silly for us to ask, who's got permission to cut their arm off with a table saw? That's not the way we want to look at it, is it? Okay? The way we want to look at it this morning is, is how can we make marriages strong? How can we make them last? How can we persevere? Okay? That's the question we want to look at. Not is it permissible, not, not is divorce permissible. And you know why we don't want to look at them that way? Because here's, here's, here's something maybe some of you don't know. If you're married, you do know this. Marriage is really hard, okay? Marriage is really hard. There are tough seasons in marriage. And if, if there's an eject button, people are going to find it, okay? If the way you look at the scriptures is, you know, here, let me find the exception, then, then you're going to find it, okay? I mean, if there's an easy way out, you're going to take it. Because listen, listen, a difficult relationship is not grounds for divorce, okay? Being dishonored is not grounds for divorce. Not having your needs met is not grounds for divorce. Feeling unloved is not grounds for divorce. Carrying more share of the load is not grounds for divorce. Being criticized and lacking affirmation in your marriage is not grounds for divorce. Being married to someone who acts irresponsible, who is sloppy, who is lazy, none of those things are grounds for divorce. And if they were, there's not a marriage in this room or in any other of our services that wouldn't have grounds for divorce. Okay. You know why? Because you're all married to sinners. All right. You, you, you all pick badly and you picked a sinner. You know, how could you do it? It's because everybody's a sinner, okay? And so that's just the reality of relationships. I tell you what, I tremble. Andrew and I were talking about this. I tremble at giving people counsel in this area. And number one, because every, every situation is different, you know? But I'll, I'll have a lady come in my office and her husband's beating her. I mean, physically punching her. Kicking her. What do you tell that lady? Now, some of you are real quick. You're real quick, aren't you? You're quick. Get out. Divorce. Okay? Many times that's an inevitability. I understand that. But here's what, what I want you to understand. We ought to tremble when we talk to people about this subject. Okay? You know why? You're messing with somebody's life. You're messing with someone's spiritual life. You're messing with somebody's kids. You're messing with somebody's grandkids. You're messing with, with somebody's next 60, 100 years of their life. And we should be really careful how we handle this situation. So I don't want the focus of the sermon to be who has justification for divorce. I want the focus of the sermon to be how do we stay married? How does, how does Jason Dirks stay married to Emma Dirks for as long as we both shall live? That's the focus. Amen? Okay. Now, to get there, we're going to have to go through some, some, some tough stuff. So hold on, okay? First of all, um, let's just start here. If, if, if you're looking at the Scriptures, okay, and you want to know what does God think about this subject, it's really, really clear, okay? The overarching command is simply this, don't divorce, okay? That's the command of the Scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, verse 10 and 11. Um, th- this, by the way, verse 10 and 11. If you're married to a Christian, okay? Em and I are both Christians, okay? Fred and Karen are both Christians, all right? Um, if you're married to a Christian, all right, this is the command to you. 
Okay, so this command to Kenny and Bonnie, this command to 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 Jeff and, and Elizabeth. All right, this is the command to believers that are, are two Christians. All right, here it is, verse ten and eleven. To the married, I give this charge: not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. Okay, command. If she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife, all right? That, that's the command to God's people, to the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Now, let me tell you how wicked some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, all he's got to do is die. <laughs> you know, that's what I need. So no divorce, but, uh, you know... Brakes go out in the car, we're okay, you know. No, 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 no. That's a wicked way to think. Matthew chapter 19, verse 5 and 6 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Remember this two weeks ago? We talked in depth about what does it mean that, that, that a husband and wife become one flesh, okay? It's not just a sexual relationship, because verse 6 says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Okay? There's a spiritual dimension to marriage. Okay, God joins a couple together. He makes two. He makes them one. He sees them as one. And that is to exist for as long as they both shall live. In Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 32, Jesus said, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, if you just, you know, I don't want to live with you anymore. I found somebody better. You know, if that's the case, he says, except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Don't try to clean it up and sanitize it. What you're doing is committing adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery, okay? The principles of the Christian life, everything we stand for as a church, when you think about what would I preach week after week, things like sacrificial love and unconditional love and patience and forgiveness and forbearance and kindness and love of enemies and practical care for others, all of those things help marriages last. They go the distance, okay? They're against divorce. Now, there are cases where despite a willingness of a Christian spouse, the marriage is severed by the other, okay? Now, did you notice how I phrased that? Please notice that and appreciate it because I worked really hard on it, okay? Um, I don't want want to say escape clauses. I've heard people talk about, well, there's an exception. There's an escape clause. I don't want to talk about it that way, okay? Because you know what people think when they think of an exception? (gasps) Here's my way out. Here's the door. You know, there, there's the escape clause. Okay. No, 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 no. We, we, want, we want to say things like there are sinful realities that at times occur despite our best efforts. Okay. What does that mean? That means divorce is a reality. It will probably always be a reality. Why? Because there are people that don't obey Jesus. There are spouses that don't follow Jesus. They don't obey God's word. They don't keep their commitments. And so at times divorce may be an inevitability. Um, Jesus talked about that. He even talked about that where at times there is an innocent spouse. I believe that's what he's talking about in verse 32 where he says, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual morality. First uh, Corinthians 7.15 talks about a believer unbeliever. It says, if the unbeliever partner separates, let it be so. In such case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. And so there are times where divorce is a sinful reality that occurs despite our best efforts. But friends, we are not calling that an escape clause. We're not calling that an exception. And and let me tell you why, okay? And, And you may have never thought of this in your life, okay? But I have this happen on a monthly basis, okay? Somebody is miserable in their marriage. And they're a Christian. And let me just tell you how how our wicked flesh works. When they find out, okay, there seems to be some exceptions in the Bible to divorce. Sexual morality, 
abandonment by an unbeliever. You know what some people will do? And this is just, I think, out of desperation. They will almost try to make their marriage miserable enough that the other will commit adultery, that the other will leave them. You know, some of you are saying, no way. I've, I've had people tell me that. And it's just, it's just a matter of the misery thing, you know. And, 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 and they're just, they just can't take it anymore. They can't stand it. And they want out. And so, so that's why we're not going to talk about them in this way, okay? We're not going to talk about them as, as exception clauses or eject buttons. We're just not going to look at them that way, okay? Because here's, here's, here's the reality of chapter 7. God is big enough to work in a less than ideal marriage. Isn't that great? God is big enough to work in a less than ideal marriage. Verse 14 and 15, you know what they describe? They describe a really bad scenario, okay? The scenario they describe is you have a believer, okay? You got somebody who loves Jesus, who, who treasures Christ, who's born again, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, who's obeying the commands of God, who's on mission for Jesus, married to an unbeliever. Somebody who says, Jesus, that's a bunch of malarkey, you know? I don't believe any of that. And I don't believe in those values, and I don't believe in the Bible, and I don't believe in heaven, and I don't believe in hell, and I don't believe in raising our kids, memorizing verses, and I don't want them to go to that team kid thing and i don't want you to go to church wow okay that's a difficult situation okay you know what paul says though paul says you know what god can work even in that okay look at verse 14 if the unbelieving husband is made holy for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband otherwise your children would be unclean but as it is they're holy so, so Paul says in verse 13, he says, if a woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Okay, so Paul says, you got believer, unbeliever, and if the unbeliever will stay in the marriage, the believer should stay and they should, they should work hard and they should love that person. You're saying, whoa, pastor, that's an unideal situation. Agree, I agree, I agree, totally, okay? But, but, but here's what the Bible says. God can work even in that situation. And, and what verse 14 says is God will use the believing husband to sanctify the marriage. Okay, what does that mean? It means the children are going to receive benefits because of that believing spouse. The children are going to receive light because of that believing spouse. That unbelieving spouse, they're going to see the gospel because they got somebody living in their own house who's living it out. They're going to see Christ-like love and Christ-like patience and Christ-like forgiveness and Christ-like need meeting. They're going to see Jesus up close and personal in the marriage. The kids are going to see it. The spouse is going to see it. And Paul says in verse 16, wife, how do you know that you won't save your husband? Husbands, how do you know that you won't save your wife? First Peter chapter three talks about a woman who's living with an unbelieving husband, a guy that doesn't obey the word. And in verse one, it says, likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Even if some do not obey the word, you got a guy and he doesn't obey the Bible. He doesn't obey God. And Peter says, wives, man, live out your faith in front of this guy. So that, listen to the rest of the verse, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. God may use your faith to shine a light into your family and he may bring salvation to your spouse and that changes everything okay you want a new spouse they get saved you got a new one okay i mean that's the truth isn't it i mean that's the truth yeah i I mean you may not not get divorced and remarried but you got a new spouse because that person is transformed by the grace of god okay and whenever someone is born again let me tell you they shouldn't look anything like they used to look 
I don't look anything like I used to look, okay? I don't think like I used to think. I don't love the same things. I don't do the same things. I don't hang out at the same places. I don't, I don't, I don't relate with people like I used to because regeneration ought to change everything. And so what Paul is saying is even in a terrible scenario, God can still work to bring about blessing to that family. And so what verse 16 is encouraging us is, hey, you know what? How do you know that your influence in the marriage won't save that person? So stay there. If you can, stay there. If they'll let you, stay there. Okay? Now, it's interesting how, how, how awesome the Bible is. Verse 16 has a very different application for somebody who's not yet married. Okay, so let's let's back up, back up, back up. Okay, back up. Someone's not married yet. Okay, they're a believer. The person they're dating, considering married, marrying is an unbeliever. Okay, now how many times have we seen this scenario? Lots, right? Lots. Okay. Now, what what does that what does that unbeliever what does that believer? I'm sorry. What do they think? They think, well, you know, I love them. They're cute. They're funny. They got a cool car. I want to marry them. They're not a believer, but. I'll change them. Verse 16. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you'll save your wife? Okay? You don't know. Okay? So if we're talking about a believer and an unbeliever that aren't yet married but are considering marriage, I mean, what what you need to understand is you have no guarantees that that person will change. You you don't know. They may get harder to the gospel, okay? They, they, They may get more adamant against Jesus and against the Bible and against what you believe and and against your faith. And so it is unwise, it is unwise, and it is commanded against in the Scriptures for a believer to marry an unbeliever, okay? Not only that, it's not loving, okay? It's just not loving. It's not loving for you. I mean, here's what you're really saying, okay? Believer, you're, you're dating an unbeliever. What you're really saying is, you know what? I'm not happy with most of you, but I'm going to change that, you know? Okay, that's not a loving thing, is it? I mean, I, I sure don't want to come to the altar and my wife say, you know what? There's a few things about, about you that I like, but there's a whole lot that I don't, but I'm going to change it, okay? Hey, that's not loving, Okay? But a lot of times it's exactly what a believer will say when they're considering marrying an unbeliever is, well, you know, there's a whole lot about you that's not right, but <clears throat> you know what, I'm going I'm to change it. Hey, you don't know that you're going to change that, okay? So I just wanted to make another application of verse 16, but the point we're making here is that God can work even in an unideal marriage. Now, why is marriage for life? couple reasons why marriage is for life. Number one, because marriage is a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. Verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The whole chapter there that's on marriage, the part of it that's on marriage, describes marriage as a picture of Jesus in the church. Okay, Now, what that means is Jesus never leaves his bride. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't look down one day and say, man, you guys are so irritating. I'm out of this deal. Okay. Aren't you glad he doesn't do that? Aren't you glad that when you're unfaithful to him, which you have been, by the way, aren't you glad Jesus doesn't say, hey, eject button. You know, you didn't keep up your part of the bargain here. You didn't keep up your part. You're into the deal. I'm out of this thing. Okay. Jesus does not do that. Okay. Marriage is a covenant. Now, some of you, you don't have a good picture of what a covenant is in your mind, okay? 
It's not really a contract, okay? Because you know what we do in a contract? In a contract, we make this agreement, right? I'm going to pay you 10 bucks. You're going to pay my fence, all right? We got a contract. We sign it up, okay? What happens if you don't pay me 10? What happens if you don't pay my fence? I don't pay you 10 bucks, right? Okay? It's a little different with a covenant, okay? A covenant. Let me, let me give you an example. In the Bible, God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. I was reading a book the other day called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, and he said this. I never heard this before. He said, he said the, the, the greatest evidence for the existence of the God of the Bible, okay? So if you're wondering, you know, how, how do I know there's, a, there's truly a God of the Bible, is the existence of the Jewish people, Okay? And as I started thinking about that, I thought, man, that's right. I mean, God appears thousands of years ago. God appears to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you, okay? I am going to do these things for you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. Your descendants are going to be as many as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the seashore. Uh, The Messiah is going to come through you. Abraham, I am making a covenant with you. Okay, how does that go for Abraham? Well, Abraham's descendants, Abraham's family, which become the Jews, what do they do? Well, they kill his prophets. They, they rebel against him. They're continually idolatrous. They're continually unfaithful. They continually don't obey the word of God. Okay? They're hunted down by everyone. All right? I mean, I mean, they're taken into exile numerous times. Pharaoh tries to wipe them off the face of the earth. Haman attempts their genocide. Babylon, Assyria, the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Canaanites, Balaam, Balak, even modern day in the last hundred years, Adolf Hitler okay, tries to exterminate them. And yet, if you go to the Middle East today on the western side of the Mediterranean, you're going to find a little piece of land. And who's there? The Israelites are there, the sons of Abraham. Everybody around them wants to kill them, okay? Everybody around them wants to nuke them. Everybody around them wants to wipe them off the face of the planet. Why are they still here? God made a covenant. That's a covenant, my friends. You see what a covenant is? God says, I'm going to do this for you. And then he does it, no matter what. Friends, that is a covenant. You know what kind of people we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be a covenant-making people. There's a verse in Psalm 15 I really like. It talks about who, who shall ascend to the holy hill of the Lord. And at the end of verse 4, it says, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Okay? Do you, do you get what that verse is saying? He who swears to his own hurt... And does not change. Okay? You, you know what that means? That means if, if I tell Bonnie, Bonnie, I'm going to buy your car. Okay? We, we, we talk all about it. We talk about a price. I come over. Bonnie, I'm buying your car. Okay? No matter what, I'm buying your car. And we shake on it. Okay? I come get it one day. We exchange the transaction. I drive it. You know, halfway down the block, the thing explodes. I mean, just explodes, okay? Engine falls out the bottom, transmission's behind me, doors come off, you know, starts, it catches on fire and burns completely up, okay? All right? I sweared, I made a commitment to my own hurt, and I do not change. All right, I bought the car. Keep the money. Thanks, Bonnie. That's what that verse means. We're to be a people who, we, we, we give our word. And when we give our word, even if it turns out not so good for us, we keep our word. Man, talk about marriage, okay? You give your word. And even if it doesn't turn out so good for you, why? Because God is a covenant-keeping God. Last reason, why is marriage for life? Because God creates one out of two, Okay? 
Remember Matthew 19? We just looked at it, verse 5 and 6. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. God has made one. And we're not to separate that. Okay, next question. What about remarriage? Okay. Marriage is for life. God says don't divorce. What is the sinful reality? Sinful reality is there's going to be divorces. Okay. That's, that's just sinful reality. Okay. Uh, there are people that don't love Jesus, that don't obey Jesus. There's unbelievers. There's spouses who commit adultery, sever the relationship, uh, run off with somebody else, marry somebody else, abandon. Okay. There, that is the reality. So what about remarriage? Quickly, quickly, let's go through and kind of see what Paul says. First of all, he says, can you be single? Okay. If you can, you should. Okay. Verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. Verse 11, it's talking to a Christian wife. If she does, if she does divorce, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And so kind of the basic rule is, if you can be single, you should, okay? Second of all, is there opportunity to reconcile to your spouse? That's what verse 11 is talking about. If there's opportunity, you should. How do you know what's going to happen in that person's life? You know, God may change them. God may transform them. God may change you, okay? So if you can reconcile, you should reconcile. Sometimes that's just not a possibility. Sometimes that's that gets severed. They marry somebody else. They move on. Whatever. Thirdly, are we talking about two believers who divorce over what our world calls irreconcilable differences? Okay. Now, I say what our world calls irreconcilable differences because I, I, I really don't think we should use that phrase. All right. Because I think it's a stupid phrase. Okay. Because Emma and I have irreconcilable differences. Okay. We do. We, we have irreconcilable. We've had it ever since we got married. Okay. Irreconcilable differences. We are different and we can't reconcile those things. Hey. What marriage isn't? You know, are there somebody in here that would say, I agree with my spouse on everything, you know? There's nothing we disagree on. And, and we can, we're completely compatible in everything, you know? And, and we see everything eye to eye. And we look at everything the same, okay? If you are, please come forward. I will sit down. You finish, okay? Because I want to learn, all you know what irreconcilable differences means in our, in our setting, in our world? What it means is somebody's sinning and won't repent. That's all it means. I mean, somebody's sinning and they won't repent. Okay? Somebody won't forgive. Some, somebody won't love. Somebody won't meet a need. I mean, that, that's basically what that phrase means. Okay? And if two believers divorce because of irreconcilable differences or just because simply out of selfishness, they don't want to be together, they want somebody else, the, the rule of the Bible, the, the command of the Scripture, the very hard thing the Bible says here in verse 10 and 11 is that they, they, should, they should not remarry. They should stay single. They should try to restore their relationship. Okay. Now, Jesus and Paul do seem to leave room for remarriage in certain circumstances. I think, um, and again, I mean, I tremble, okay? I'm coming back. I, 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 I tremble to say this, okay, for a couple different reasons. This, is, this impacts people's lives. And number two, it's just, it's just hard. Um, John Piper, a guy that I really respect in ministry, is going to disagree with what I'm about to say. And that's a hard thing for me because I, I want to be right. <laughs> I mean, I'm dealing with people's lives here, but I, here's what I think, Okay. I think Jesus is saying, verse 32 of Matthew chapter 5, that there are situations in which adultery severs the marriage. Despite a, a believing spouse's best attempts, adultery severs it. And I believe there is, there is, there's times where there's an innocent party and that that party is free to remarry. I believe that. Okay, I believe in 1 Corinthians, the passage that we're in. 
I believe there's a scenario presented here where there's an unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse. And the unbelieving spouse says, you know what? I'm tired of your Christianity. I'm tired of you beating the Bible. I'm tired of your church. I'm tired of you not going to the bar with me. I'm tired of you, you know, not wanting to watch watch pornography with me. I'm tired of all your faith. I don't want you anymore. And, and And I think verse 14 says, or verse 15 says, let him go. And it says there, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Okay, and people are going to interpret that differently. I interpret that, and if we had time, I would show you why. I interpret that as they are free to to remarry only in the Lord. Okay, let's look at a rule here. Verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be remarried be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Okay. If there is remarriage, it must be to a believer. Okay. Now let me, let me define what that means. Okay. Cause I'm telling you, there's great confusion about what I just said. Okay. There's great confusion about what does it mean to remarry a believer? Okay. Here's what it means. It means you, you, you consider somebody to, to marry who has an active, visible faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, active, Visible, do you see that? Apart from their relationship to you. Okay? Apart from their relationship to you. Okay, now here, here's what normally happens. A couple gets together. They, they meet somewhere. They go bowling. They get interested in each other. They go out on a few dates. They begin to be affectionate with one another. They begin to call each other all the time. And then one of them says, I'm a Christian. Aren't you? Do you want to go to church with me? And the other one says, yeah, 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 yeah. You bet Jesus, church, uh, you bet you. What time? What time? What time do I need to be there? I'll be there. What, what should I wear? And, uh, and what do I need to bring? Uh, that's that, that book thing, the, 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 the Bible, Bible. Yeah, yes, 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 I, I am a Christian. Yes. Let's be real fair. They're not trying to trick anybody. They're, they're just, they're trying to please you. Hey, ladies, let me tell you something about guys, okay? When a guy is interested in a girl romantically, he wants to please that lady, okay? If he finds out that that lady likes big muscles, he's at home pumping iron, you know? If he finds out that she wants, she likes for him to dress up, he cashes in his t-shirts, he goes to Walmart and he buys some button downs, you know? I mean, he wants to be, ladies, do you get that, okay? And, and so, so this happens all the time. Someone said, well, is he a Christian or is she a Christian? Yeah, 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 we talked about that. Were they before you met them? Okay, you see, the way the Bible would have you do this is you got to look at them before you're ever in the relationship. Is their faith active? Are they serving Jesus without you? Are they, are they, are they following Jesus without you? Okay, that, that's, that's a Christian, okay? Only in the Lord. Hey, request prayer for this, okay? Bring, bring your church family into this decision. I can't for the life of me figure out why I don't hear more prayer requests on, hey guys, would you pray for me that God would send me a godly husband? God would send me a godly wife. I just don't hear that very often. Why don't I hear that? I pray that for my kids every day. I pray it with them. You know, Haven's four years old. We're at night. Dear God, please give Haven a godly husband someday. You know, she's like, godly husband, you know. On <laughs> a Barbie, you know. Ask people what they think. You know, you know what I hardly ever hear? I hardly ever hear somebody say, hey, you know what? 
you, you, I really respect your faith. What do you think of so-and-so? Do you know so-and-so? They work at Dairy Queen. You know, do you, do you know them? What do you think of their faith? You know, do you, do you, are they a pretty solid person? Do you think they'd be a good mom? Do you think they'd be a good husband? I don't ever hear that. Why? Why? Man, when I bought a house, you know what I did? I drug every godly man that I could think of over there and, and made them give an opinion about what they, whether they thought it was a good idea. Because I want to make a mistake. How much more when you're thinking about a wife, a mother, a husband, a father? Man. All right. Because of these realities, we had to work on staying married. Okay? What, what does that mean? Okay? This is the last section. Please be patient. I know we're going a little long. Um, I had to get through this, though, so we can get on to other things. All right? Um, what is it? How, how do we stay married? Well, obey everything in the Bible, okay? I mean, every sermon in the Bible actually probably applies to marriage. But let me give you four things that, that I think are significant that maybe you don't hear all the time, okay? Number one, to, to stay married, to have a good marriage, find your joy in God. Okay, did you hear that? Find your joy in God. Let, let me give you a great example here. Notice where Paul goes in chapter 7. This is, this is amazing, okay? He has this little, ch- 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 this little section in the middle of all this marriage, remarriage, divorce stuff in verse 17 where he says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now, he gives some examples. And notice, notice here, here's, a, here's a real powerful one. Verse 21. Were you a slave when called? Now, remember, in Paul's day, they actually had slaves. They had people who owned other people, okay? And so Paul's saying, when you became a Christian, were you a slave, okay? He says in verse 21, don't be concerned about it. If you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity, okay? For, the Lord, for, for, for he who is called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is, who is free when, when called is a slave of Christ. Okay? Now, now, let me unpack what Paul just said there. He said there's some of you that you're owned by somebody else. You're not free. You can't, you can't buy a house. You can't do what you want. You can't move. You, you can't get off when you want to get off. You actually are owned by somebody else. Okay? And you know what most people in America would say about that? I cannot be happy. When, I, when they say that, I cannot be happy, I cannot live a fulfilled life, uh, my life stinks, it's terrible, it's wretched. If God doesn't free me from this, then, then all is lost, okay? You know what Paul says? Paul says to these folks that are slaves when they become Christian, he says, well, if, if you can get free, do it. If you can't, don't worry about it. You got Christ. Okay, do you, do you, do you see the power of that? Stay with me. Do you see the power of that? You have Jesus you see, here's what a lot of people want to say today. Today, My husband is a lazy wretch. My wife is mean as a snake. Therefore, I can't be happy. I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe Jesus is where our happiness is. People will say, well, my husband isn't this. My wife isn't this. So I can't be fulfilled. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's not pin our happiness and our fulfillment and our joy and our everything on somebody else. Listen, nobody can carry the weight of that. Our joy is in who? It's in Jesus. Okay? Find your joy in Jesus. Number two, embrace that marriage is a spiritual thing. I've told you this many times. I'm going to tell you it again. My marriage is more about me and Jesus than me and Emma. Emma's marriage is more about Jesus and her than it is about me and her. Okay? 
Marriage is a spiritual thing. That's why last week we saw that the sexual relationship is even a means for, to, to, to fight off temptation and to battle the devil. I mean, this is a spiritual thing. First Peter 3, 7 tells us that not honoring your spouse affects your prayer life, okay? Marriage is an intensely spiritual thing. Number three, because of that, you should fight for your own holiness and the holiness of your spouse, okay? The best thing you can do for your marriage, I love the picture in Ephesians 5 where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus do that? Well, he gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water. Okay, you know what Jesus does? He makes his church holy. You know what my focus ought to be in our marriage? It ought to be on me not sinning and on helping my wife not to sin, okay? Because whether you believe this or not, it's true. Most of the problems in marriage are because of sin, okay? They're not because of irreconcilable differences. They're not because, you know, she likes it 80 degrees and you like it 60 degrees. She likes, you know, tofu and you like steak. That's, that didn't have anything to do with why there's conflict in marriage, okay? There's conflict in marriage because people can't be patient with one another, because they can't forgive one another, they can't speak kindly to one another. And, and so the, the, the thing to focus on in staying married is be holy. Grow in your relationship with Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter talks about marriage for seven verses, okay? Um, talks about a difficult marriage, talks about wives, talks about husbands. And then in verse eight, he broadens it out. And notice what he says, okay? Let's just walk through this real quickly. He says in verse eight, finally, all of you have unity of mind, okay? Now to begin to apply these things to your marriage, ready? Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. These are all Christian characteristics that the Holy Spirit brings about in you that will bless your marriage, okay? Uh, Verse nine, do not repay evil for evil, okay? What do you do when your spouse is mean? What do you do when your spouse cuts you down? What do you do when your spouse doesn't meet your needs? Well, you know, your flesh says you pay them back, right? Paul, Peter says, don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. What do you do? You bless them. What is that? That's the Christian life, isn't it? That's living out Jesus' life in your marriage. Notice this, verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Please sign me up for that, okay? I want to love life and I want to see good days. How does that happen? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. What, what's, the, what's the key to happiness in your marriage? The key is growing the Lord, Okay? Grow in the Lord and your spouse to grow in the Lord. Finally, fourth thing. Recognize there are seasons in marriage that must be endured. There's a great verse in, in Galatians that we use a lot in this, in this church. Um, we've used it for our team kid ministry forever. But I think it has great implications for marriage. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Okay. Now, anybody have an agricultural background? I come. I was a son of a farmer, so I understand agriculture. And, and the thing you got to understand about agriculture is there are seasons in agriculture. Okay. A farmer does not cut his wheat twelve months out of the year. Okay. He wishes he would do that, but that's not the reality. Okay. He he reaps about a week out of the year, two weeks out of the year, maybe three weeks out of the year, depending on how much wheat he has. Okay. You know what he does the rest of the time? Well, he he he, he weed pulls. Okay, for a while. He sprays for a while. He plants plants for a while. There, there's a season in there. He doesn't do nothing but sit in his house and look at the snow on his field, okay? I mean, there are different seasons in a farmer's life. But you know what he does? He keeps sowing with the hopes that he will reap. 
Okay? And then the principle that the Bible's given us there is don't grow weary in doing good, in sowing good. Why? Because you look for the harvest. You look for the time of reaping. Okay? Now, here's the reality about marriage. Some of you guys have been married a long time. I've been married 20 years. Some of you have been married a lot longer than that. And you probably realize, just as I realize, there are seasons in marriage, right? There are times of darkness. There are times of depression. There are times of illness. There are times of busyness. There are times of distraction. There are times of conflict. There are all kinds of seasons in marriage. Okay? And you, you can't give up because of the season. Okay? I didn't always understand this. Let me tell you a quick story. I got married um, August 1991. It was bliss. Okay? I'm talking just, just awesome. Okay? Got married, moved off to college, uh, living in government subsidized housing under a one-armed hooker. I mean, it was, it was the best times of our life. We would go to McDonald's, uh, get a 29-cent twist going for, for a treat. I mean, I mean, really, I'm telling you, we, we, were, we were in love. We were great times, great relationship, great marriage, okay? A couple years go by, we have our first baby, okay? My wife was so excited for nine months. I mean, when she found out she was pregnant, Everything else stopped. I mean, all it was was she's going to be a mother. She, she didn't care about her school anymore. She just mother. She read like 92 books on being a mother. I mean, she was so prepared. She had the baby, okay? Beautiful little Hannah comes out, all right? Everything is good for about three weeks. Three weeks goes by, and all of a sudden, I do not know my wife. Um, I'm actually not joking. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm convinced that she hates me. Um, she was in, she was in the last service and I told everybody, I said, you just go ask her. And this story is complete. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Um, I would come home. Okay. And part of this was Hannah was just, we've had five kids now. And this the only, only Hannah did this. She did not sleep. I mean, 15, 20 minutes every couple hours, um, might add up to seven, eight hours a day. I mean, just Phenomenal thing for an infant, okay? She just didn't sleep. I would come home after school and work. I would open the door. I would say, hey, honey. She would say, shh. I mean, I was, I was convinced that she hated me. I mean, I really was. And, and she was just, she was shut off. I mean, no emotion, no, no nothing. Off, okay? No idea. I remember laying on the floor with her. She'll tell you, she'll, she'll confirm the story. Went on the floor. And, and I just said, she's just like blank, just cold. And I said, honey, I, said, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what's wrong. I, but I said, I will do anything. I said, I will, I will get out of school. If it's school, I will get another job. I said, I, I will call my dad. We will borrow some money. We'll drive to Colorado Springs and I will go to James Dobson's house and I will sit outside his house until he agrees to meet with us. I said, I will do whatever it takes. Get no answers. About six months of that. All of a sudden, I come home from work one day. I open the door. By this time, I'm not saying, hey, honey, anymore. <laughs> I come home from work one day. I open up the door. And there she is. She's like, hey, sweetie. She's back. Well, we didn't know anything at this time. We didn't, go to, we didn't have a doctor. We didn't go to doctors. We didn't have, you know. She had postpartum depression. You know, bad, bad. And it lasted about six months. We had no idea. One of the hardest times of our life. 
But listen, you know what that taught me? There's seasons, aren't there? There's been others of those type of seasons in our, in our life. We're in a, I mean, everybody's in a season all the time. You know, we're, we're in a season right now. Freshman in college, preschooler. How's that work, huh? You know, we've been in seasons where we had little bitty kids. That's all we had, you know. Puke and spit up all over everywhere, you know. We're, we're in a different season. now. There'll come a day. We'll have a couple. There's, there's coming a day where it's possible we may have two or three kids in college at the same time, okay. That'll be a season of poverty is what that will be, okay. There'll be a season maybe when we'll have, we'll have, we'll have grandkids, you know. I don't know what that's going to look like, you know, but I just know there's seasons. Some of you have been during seasons of sickness, haven't you? Huh? Your spouse gets ill. Man, we had, we've had a year of that. You know, my wife had a huge surgery last year and she was just, just sick for five or six months. There's seasons of difficulty in the church. Seasons when I'm under the gun. Seasons when everything's great. Seasons when things are not great. But here's the deal. You don't give up in those seasons. You keep sowing seeds of righteousness, looking for the harvest. If you're here today, and, and I'm sorry I've gone long. If you're a visitor here, I do not usually go this long. Um, but this is just a big, it's a big issue. If you're here today and you've been divorced, maybe you've been remarried, maybe you were an unbeliever, maybe it happened before your salvation, maybe your spouse committed adultery, maybe you committed adultery, I, I don't know. I want to leave you with this. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. You know what we do with sin? We know what we do, don't we, Lincoln? We take it to the cross. Isn't that right? We take it to Jesus. We come to Him. We repent of it. We embrace the forgiveness of Jesus. We receive the righteousness of Jesus that is not our own. It's His. We embrace that and we move forward. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. I thank you, Father, for... Uh, your truth in this very difficult message, God. I, I, I pray that you would help us to build good marriages here at Lincoln. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to move past the pain of divorce. God, help us to get good at administering to people in divorce and, and just ministering to families that, that are in pain. God, help us to be Jesus in their lives and to bring comfort and encouragement. God, I pray it in Jesus' name.